Scripture reading for today, Hebrews 5:11 to 6:3. If you want to follow along, that's page 1003 in your pew Bibles in front of you. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. got a really cool gift this morning from a friend of mine in Uganda. It's this shirt. It says, Mzungu. I guess it means foreigner. Um, <laughs> but I have a Kenyan friend, and he was telling me, like, you're not Mzungu because you're not white. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not a Mzungu. But um, my Ugandan friend, maybe she thinks I'm white? I don't know. Anyway. I'm going to wear that one next week, uh, just to show everyone I'm Mzungu. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 11, and then we're going to go through chapter 6 of verse 3, because we don't actually have time to go further. In this kind of section to chapter 6, verse 13, uh, there's these uh, three theological concerns within this section of Scripture. So the first one is spiritual immaturity, the second one is the path to spiritual maturity, and then the third one is about apostasy. And so I don't really have time to go into that, so we'll take a look at that next time. So we're going to stop at chapter 6, verse 3, uh, and just take a look at those first two uh, theological concerns there. So starting in chapter 5, verse 11, it reads, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Uh, Dull of hearing should kind of take us back to chapter 2 about drifting away because not being able to hear what we've already learned. And then verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. We'd be really concerned if we witnessed full-grown adults who just kind of lived on milk and not eat solid food. Yes, like that would be kind of odd. Like what's, what's going on with that person? And so the writer here is uh, drawing this parallel between someone who has been Christian for a while and hasn't advanced in their uh, biblical understanding, in their biblical living. Someone who hasn't moved past elementary, basic Christianity to deeper biblical understandings. And so if you can imagine a church full of people just drinking milk out of bottles and uh, just that, and, um, and this is the picture that he's kind of drawing, one of spiritual immaturity, where people have been in church long enough to become teachers themselves because they've heard things from the Bible so much, but then they aren't teaching that they're needing to be taught again those basics. And it's not a subject matter that is really all that complex. 
but it goes back to verse 11 that these people have become dull of hearing and therefore drifting away as in chapter 2. And so the writer, when he uses the word dull, he is describing a sickly predator. So if you can imagine like Mufasa or Simba, my kids just watch Lion King, so it's like in my head. King of the jungle, right? King of the jungle, just unable to stand, unable to move around as king of the jungle because they are sick, which means eventually they're going to be overthrown. He's using that same Greek word for dull. If you fast forward to chapter 6, verse 12, for sluggish. It's the same Greek word that's being used for dull as well as sluggish. And we are to imitate faithful, patient people who receive God's promises and not these dull of hearing people, not these sluggish people. These dull of hearing people, these sluggish people weren't simply having difficulty receiving from God. The writer is addressing people who have something going on in their heart. Addressing people who weren't listening carefully. Addressing people who weren't putting effort into what was being said. And that's why the writer addresses the audience the way that they do. Now those of us who have taught before know what this is like. Where as a teacher, your approach and uh, and your mind are different towards a student who is interested in what you have to share for them, share with them, and and a student who has a complete disinterest in what you have to share kind of changes your mindset and your approach with that student. So when you have a student who listens carefully and then tries hard to implement what is being taught to them, but that person is still having a really difficult time grasping what is being taught. The, the good teacher will work with that student to help them grow from where they're at. And so the writer here is not saying this about those who are putting forth their best effort or who have a heart to want to do that. He's challenging those who should be eagerly receiving this truth, but they've developed this attitude of just not caring. They've developed the posture of just being there, present but not fully there to absorb all that is being shared with them. And so they've just become kind of like professional churchgoers or professional uh, pew warmers. And I liken this to people who fly a lot. Right? Most people who fly a lot don't listen to those pre-flight safety instructions anymore, right? We, we don't do that. We, we think we know it all because we've listened to it hundreds, if not thousands of times. You, you've heard all these things. And I, I confess, this is me. I, I don't listen to this stuff. How many of you do something else? Like you start looking at the catalog for shopping or like looking at what movies are going to be playing. Or I, what I do is I take a nap. I, I just, I take a nap and then when the plane takes off is when it wakes me up because it's like, and then I wake up and I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't have to listen to that person give me the spiel. And oftentimes this is church, where you you walk into church, and then as soon as I start preaching, you fall asleep. That's messed up. I just just need to tell you, it hurts my feelings. But sometimes uh, people fall asleep because they they, they think they know it all. You know, you've heard lots of sermons, hundreds, thousands, you've listened to 
podcasts and all the different things. You've listened to so many sermons that like, oh, I've, I've done this one before, I've heard this one, or I don't need this anymore. And you, you kind of think like you know it already. I, I was on a flight just a few weeks ago, and as soon as the flight attendant started, you know, going through the information, I, I started to take a nap. And then as I, my eyes were closed and I just started thinking to myself, you know, if we did have an emergency water landing and I was like stressed out, would I really know how to put that life vest on? I, I really got to thinking that. And then I was thinking, I don't think I would. I think I'd be one of those people where I'd have to look around and be like, what, what did she say? And then like, okay, pull it out here. And then, like, and then you know, like, like I, I think I'd have to like look at people. I don't think I'd automatically do it, even though I've heard it so many times just because like I I'd, I'd just wonder. So I, I, I woke up, I, I opened my eyes, and then I listened intently on that, on that, on that spiel. And then, and then I took my nap afterwards, but I, I listened really intent. But this is often churchgoers. We, we often think we know it all, overconfident because, you know, we've literally been to church hundreds of times, if not thousands of times, thinking we're just fine and we're professional churchgoers, not really paying attention anymore and, and lacking a depth of understanding when it comes to practically living out our faith of truth. So what has happened to the church because of this, because of this lack of depth? I, I think pastors and churches have been more concerned about how do we engage the audience and how do we make it then more entertaining because we're not able to ke- capture people's interest and, and how, so how do we do that? And so we become like these parents who entertain their kids with food that we have to start saying like, here comes the airplane, open your mouth, and here, there we go. And then as, as soon as the kid gets bored with that, because they get pretty bored with that, you got to change it to choo-choo train. You got you to do that. And then you go, oh, it's a boat. The boat's coming in. And, and we got to come with all these different things to, to make it kind of more palatable for people. And so we have people like that at churches who don't want it. And... Churches have to figure out a way to like get this food in them, not no, no longer milk, but like solid food. And has that what the church has become? Just a place full of infants that people aren't able to digest really solid food, but we all always have to give them some sort of milk so that they can kind of digest this stuff. And then we just kind of feed into this idea of giving people the bottle their whole life. We'll give you a bottle, no longer growing, no longer maturing, lazy, caught in this routine, and then when you come in, you just switch off because then there's a baby bottle, and they just stick it in and just take a nap. And so when we're like this, we fall into this dull routine, and rather than be the teacher, we, we fail to grow. And the diet should have graduated to solid food, but we find the, the spiritually immature stuck with milk. And it's really, really disheartening to see people not grow, isn't it? Whether it's emotionally or physically, uh, educationally, whatever it may be, spiritually, it's always sad to see somebody who you love and you've invested in and you're hoping that they become mature, but they're not growing up. 
And so this immaturity is where this dullness and this sluggishness lead, this dullness of hearing, this path from infancy to apostasy, which we'll cover at a, at a later date. It, this is a short path. When we see a baby take a bottle, it is really cute. It's, a, it's an adorable thing. They hold it with their pudgy fingers and it's like this and it's just chubby cheeks. And it's, it's, just, it's just really, really cute. Give that bottle to a grown man. Kind of gross. <laughs> I mean, that's why this is a baby shower game, right? I remember when our first baby, it's like they had this <laughs> game for me and all my friends and stuff and all the guys, they had all these baby bottles and we had to drink all the milk from the baby bottle and see who could do this the fastest. And then they tried to convince us to wear diapers. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> baby bottle, okay, I'm not putting on no diaper. But we're there and we're all competitive and we're like sucking this... <laughs> Because we're trying to go, like, we're trying to, and then milk's getting us, and everyone's laughing, and it's just really, really funny because it's so ridiculous to see all these grown men sucking on bottles, like trying to get this milk down. It's not normal. <laughs> and so we would think this is really strange if we saw this type of behavior in the church, physically, right? Like, you don't have your nice lattes and cappuccinos from our La Marzocco espresso machine and all the nice fancy beans we have. And, and instead of asking for a latte, you're just asking for milk in a bottle. And you come in here and you're just drinking milk. And, like, it'd be really, really strange. But this is actually what's happening to some people spiritually as they come to church. And this is what's happening spiritually in some churches when people become spiritual babies again and then the church has to accommodate those babies. And this happens when we start accommodating babies, and it's not simply just teaching meteor theology, that's not what it's all about. It's also about living out what is being taught. Whether or not people can know about kindness is one thing and teach about it and learn about it, but can they live it out? And we can teach about humility from the pulpit here, but then can people live that out? And we can teach about hospitality, but can we live that out? And so all this nutrition that is being taken in needs to be used, and the more mature one becomes, the more nutrition they need. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, unable to move beyond the milk unable to do the right thing before God, unable to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Too preoccupied with seeking one's own kingdom and their own definition of righteousness that they miss out on what God has for them. You see what people are really like when things don't go their way. Right? You look at your spouse, you look at your children, you look at your friends or people that you work with, people that you do ministry with. You get to see their real heart when they're most fearful, when they're threatened, when they're stressed. That is the real them. And the immaturity or maturity reveals itself when it's stressed. And the influential thing about all it all is that we tend to become more like the people we surround ourselves with. So if you surround yourself with people who gossip, you tend to gossip. 
If you surround yourself with people who slander, you tend to slander. And the opposite is true too. When you surround yourself with people who encourage one another, we tend to do the same. And people tend to gravitate towards groups that they are like. And if people are about love and doing good, they tend to gravitate towards people like that. Spiritually immature people tend to gravitate towards one another because they fit in with each other just like any other group that self-identifies. It's comfortable. And people think that they're fine until it's pointed out that they're not. Because you don't realize you're in a wrong place until someone who's eating a more nutritious meal points out that you're malnourished. So that's spiritual immaturity. What's this path towards spiritual maturity? Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the path for the maturing Christian. When someone becomes a Christian, it's to be expected that their food is milk, that they learn the basic truths about the Christian faith and the expectations are tempered because they are brand new. It's it's just the beginning for them. And what is learned is practice and then they continue to develop. They, They grow with understanding. They grow in discernment and in their actions and they continue on this Christian life cycle to to feed on more solid foods to point to a point where they are mature, that they they can then start feeding others. That's what we do as parents, right? We started out as babies, we got more, and then now we're, we're feeding our own kids. To grow in spiritual maturity, we expect this out of people. We this would be really abnormal if my 13-year-old goes back and starts reading my six-year-old's books. It'd just be kind of weird. And it would be odd for my 11-year-old to start going back and doing the math problems of my six-year-old. But it's really normal for my six-year-old to do six-year-old things. And so we need to mature and, and grow from those basics, those elementary school basics, The elementary foundations are really, really important to the Christian faith. You cannot grow without them, but we do have to grow. We we build our foundation, but but we must build. So let's go to chapter 6 about these really foundational, basic, elementary things about the Christian faith. And then we're going to circle back to chapter 5, verse 14. Chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will, we will do if God permits. So chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, those are all basic elementary foundational things. within. That's milk. That is all milk stuff. We need to mature spiritually from that to solid food. So these verses in chapter 6 are really interesting. It says, Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing. Now what does all this mean? Because some of you might be thinking like, we can't leave those things. Those are foundational to our faith. We can't ever leave that. We can't desert that. I agree. Those are all foundational, basic things that we have to build upon. It's not saying forget about it. It's saying like, you have that already. You've done that already. Grow past that. 
So all of these events that are mentioned in chapter 6 are, are components that, that indicate fundamental elementary truth about what it means to love, follow, and know Jesus. So for example, when we think about that first event of the gospel, what comes to mind? It's repentance. You take a look back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is rolling into Galilee, and he's proclaiming the gospel of God, and he says this, chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is an essential foundational truth. It is milk. You can't do anything else without it. You can't grow without it. And so repentance is also to be practiced daily. We know this already, and we are to live this out. We are to grow from that. We know that already. It's, it's milk. And then it says faith towards God, which means trusting, depending, relying on God. That is foundational. It is an elementary thing. And this is something that we need to build on. It's not something you have to ever forget. It's just you have to continue with it, but there's more to do than just saying, like, God, I trust you, I love you. What else do you have to do? You have to actually practice that. You actually have to go do that. So you have to grow past that. Instruction about washings. This is speaking about baptism. We'll get to this a little bit more a little later, but that's about baptism. Another foundational piece of the Christian faith is, is that sacrament. And then the laying on of hands. Again, foundational sign that the Holy Spirit is being integrated into your life, integrated into the church. Basic milk. That's everybody. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Foundational message, elementary message to the new believer that death is not the end because Jesus is alive from the dead. So that when we physically die, we who have faith in Jesus Christ will go before God and be welcomed into his presence. Those who don't trust Jesus Christ, who don't have an allegiance to Jesus Christ in delivering them from all that separates them from God will face judgment. Basic, elementary, foundational things. Now, once you grasp all that milk, once we live these elementary components of our faith out, we need to grow from these foundational truths and do something more, because that's milk. Now, sometimes people find that they aren't growing in their faith, and maybe it's because these foundational, elementary, basic components are missing from their foundation. So therefore, they didn't have the milk to help them grow to eat more solid food. Repent and believe the gospel. The foundation of the Christian experience can be found in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 38. And this is where I'm going to go back to that baptism piece. So Peter is there. He's preaching at the day of Pentecost. And it's picking up the story here in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And he reads this. Or it reads this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, this, this is milk. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see how all that ties into Hebrews 6? All those elements there, all those components there. 
And so this is foundational to what it means to become a Christian, to realize you are a sinner and you are separated from God and that Christ's atoning death upon the cross paid the price of sin for you. If you don't know what that means, listen to last week's message. And when you trust alone in Christ's atoning sacrifice, God forgives you, he redeems you, and you enter into those benefits, promises, blessings of that, and having been incorporated into Christ, you then take up the mark of that incorporation, which is baptism. Repent and be baptized. And so the New Testament, I don't know if you've realized this, is very, very heavily in favor of baptized believers. Very much so. There's actually only one record of one who was not. And that was the thief who was crucified next to Jesus Christ on the cross. Other than that, you can't find it. It was all an expectation that you believed, you repented, you got baptized. And those who committed their lives to Jesus Christ, who discovered the truth and reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, they got baptized. Baptism is foundational. It wasn't something that was done way later. Because Peter said, repent and be baptized. Now, some wonder why their stunt has their growth has stunted. Like they, they wonder why they're, they're not growing. Have you been baptized? And it's not that baptism is some magical thing. Like you get and then the clouds part and then God says, like, you're my kid. Like, thanks, good job. And the dove descends. Like, it's not that. It's not that. It's more about what it reveals about the condition of your heart. About saying like, yeah, I repented and therefore like, mark me. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to publicly declare to everybody like, yeah, that's me. I'm one of his. It's more of showing like what's happened on the inside, an external kind of proclamation of saying like, yeah, that's me. I identify with Christ. My allegiance is with Jesus Christ. It's not like a magic poof thing that happens. So chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, these are elementary, foundational, basic things right out of the gate for a Christian. Milk. It's not something way down the line. It's milk. So how do we take all that elementary stuff, foundational stuff, to a state where it actually transforms our lives and we grow and we mature. And this is where we go back to chapter 5, verse 14, and it reads this. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Trained by constant practice. Which is very different from the warning he issued earlier about being dull of hearing. And then if we jump forward to chapter 6, verse 12, 12, about being sluggish. Constant practice, training by constant practice in making progress in spiritual maturity towards Christ. And it's like everything else in life that's worth anything. That it takes effort. That you and I, we all know that there is a direct correlation between commitment and effort and what happens with growth and maturity. They go hand in hand. Because how many times do you do nothing and then you make progress in doing the nothing? How many times has that happened to you? If you have made progress by doing nothing, 
That is simply just the mercy and grace of God on your life. That, that's all grace. That's all mercy. Because when we don't use our muscles, they don't get stronger. Never. Never. They get flabby. Right? They get flabby. I know this. This is firsthand experience. And you all know this too. That if you don't use your muscles, they get flabby. They never get stronger. You don't wake up one morning, like two years after not exercising, like, check me out. Like, I'm looking pretty good. I should not do anything more often. Or that job promotion. You don't sleep in for a year and like, I got promoted. I'm going to just not go to work for another year and get promoted. Like it, it never happens. How many of you have exercise equipment in your house that you never use? How many of you have books in your house that you've never read? How many of you have recreational equipment that you don't use? Like that paddleboard or that surfboard or that bike or whatever it is. That stuff's always on Craigslist. It's always, you can always find cheap. Find... We need to continuously train and constantly practice by using our Bibles. Right? To, to train. Because we, we lose what we don't use. Our bodies don't automatically get into shape. You have to train with constant practice, with constant use. And it's the same exact thing spiritually. Same thing. You and I can't expect a different result if we don't train in constant practice just like it is in the rest of your life, whether it is physical fitness, doing well at your job, keeping up to date on your relationships and in your marriage with your children and your, with your friendships. Whatever it is that is worth putting solid effort into, we have to train and put into constant practice or it doesn't get better. It doesn't get stronger. Coming to church once a week for an hour is not constant practice. In order for you and I to grow in our jobs, how much practice do we have to put into it? For most of us, 40 plus hours a week. And if you are an expert in your field and you're really skilled, it is more than that. Way more than that. And so those of you who are able to run marathons or are high-level athletes, how often do you train? One hour a week? Are you kidding me? If you can run a marathon by training one hour a week, tell me your secret. Not that I'd ever run a marathon. I don't care. I'm never running a marathon. That's, that's just like... Crazy to me. The first guy who ran it died. Like, why are you doing that, right? So, <laughs> it's not that complicated to figure out why we are the way that we are. It's not complicated whatsoever because all you have to do is look at how you train in constant practice or that you don't. That's all you really have to... It, this Christian life is not complex at all. Now, all of us have done things that require practice. Um, for those of you who haven't noticed, I'm, I'm Muzungu, 
And so I'm an Asian Muzungu. And growing up in an Asian household, um, as some of you have, how many of you have played a musical instrument? Many of us, yeah? There was a lot of practice. My parents would always say, like, hey, you know how much I pay? You better start practicing. You better start doing that thing. And then, like, for SATs, how many practice tests did... My, my mom bought me this book. Like, you're going to take a practice test every week. What? It's like three hours. Yeah, you're going to do that on Saturday. A book of SAT. We have to practice everything. Academics, athletics, music, art, whatever it is. And when you practice, you do better. You're further along when you practice. And when you don't, mom can tell. And it's a really simple equation. Your input gives you a certain output. And it's not complicated whatsoever. We are the way we are because of how we live, because of how we train. The way spiritual maturity is to take place is by taking the means of grace that God has given us to make constant use of that grace with constant practice, training. Uh, someone I look up to a lot is an uh, author by the name of Dallas Willard. He's no longer with us. He's a modern-day philosopher. But he had this little phrase that um, I take away. It's, you are in training for reigning. You and I, we, we don't gauge how physically fit people are by how much they know. We don't do that. You don't gauge people by how physically fit they are by how much uh, sports equipment or exercise equipment they own. You simply know how physically fit someone is because they are. You look at them and you're like, they're physically fit. <laughs> There's no like, but they have all these exercise physiology books. Like, they must know a lot about this stuff. Or they have, they have a whole gym in their house. You don't gauge it by that. It's the same thing with um, intelligence. That person has a huge library in their house. But you just simply talk to them and you gauge their intelligence by like, but they're dumb as a doorknob. Like even though they have all these books, like what in the world? You just, you know. We gauge maturity by how mature people are not because they're old. They're mature. Therefore, they are. And it's the same exact thing for spiritual maturity in that people can know a ton about the Bible, but do they imitate Christ? And this is something that I think a lot of Christians get confused about because when's the last time the gospel was shared with another person? See, that's beyond milk. That's solid food now. Who are you discipling? Because that's beyond milk. That's solid food. And so there are these other things that need to happen. It's not just teaching what the Bible says about gentleness, but it is being gentle. It's not just simply preaching and teaching about humility and all these other things, about uh, being slow to speak and, and quick to listen. It's about exercising those things and doing those solid food things. 
we can all tell when someone's been in constant practice, yes? You can all tell, no matter what it is that they're doing, whether it's someone you are training for a, a race with or uh, you're, you're studying with or whatever it may be, no matter what it is, you can tell if someone's been working on it and you can also tell, like, man, that guy's just been sandbagging the whole thing. He's not doing anything. And all we have to do is look at their training schedule, look at how they're constantly practicing. And if it's constantly being used, then you know that someone's practicing, right? If they're practicing for a triathlon, they got to switch out their, their bike tires every once in a while, get it tuned up and their, and their shoes, and, and they got to look the part, like they're, they're not going the other way. Same thing spiritually. You know, a lot of people have digital Bibles now. And so you can't really make those judgment calls as um, I once was able to like 20 years ago. When someone would walk in the church and you'd look at their torn up Bible. It was messed up, right? It was tattered pages and discolored. But then you'd see like highlighter markings, like different colored highlights and then different pens and like circled, underlined and all these side notes and all this stuff. And it was just like an old newspaper and it was just falling out of the binding and all this. But then you'd think that lady uses that Bible. It's incredible. And every page you look at, there's notes, there's color, there's all this stuff. And it's just so incredible to see a, a saintly woman like that. And it was just absolutely evident. Because it wasn't just simply like you saw the Bible, but you saw how she treated people. You saw how gentle and kind she was and how welcoming she was and, and loving. We need to go beyond the milk beyond the foundations of our faith. We, we need to grow. So the evangelism, the discipleship, the serving, the giving, the visiting, the prisoner, the widow, the alien. See, there, there's a lot we can practice, train ourselves to do beyond the foundation of our faith to grow spiritually. And you will get stuck here if you are dull of hearing and you are lazy. You are sluggish, and you will stay immature because you will lose what you don't use. Paul wrote in Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, train yourself for godliness. No one else is going to run the race for you. No one else is going to study for you. You are going to have to do it yourself. People can help you. They can help you with encouraging you, with training you, with, with telling you better ways to do things, with keeping you accountable. But ultimately, it's you. You're going to have to take the steps for the race. You're going to have to look at the words to study those things. It's you. I, I meet a lot of guys, and they're praying for purity. They want to be pure. Lord, make me pure. I can tell you your prayer is not going to get answered. You can pray all you want, but if you don't train in constant practice, you are going to fail 
If you don't abstain from those things that you are saying are making you impure, you're going to fail. If you don't surround yourself with people that are going to hold you accountable and help you through things, you're going to fail. You can't just pray it. Patience. People pray for patience all the time, right? Lord, give me patience. Give it to me now. Like, you're not going to get it like that. You're going to get the patience by praying for patience and not having it for a long time. And then you're going to get patience because that's how you're going to be trained. You're going to be trained by constantly practicing prayer for patience and exercising patience. This is a crazy thing that, that I do sometimes for patience. Again, this is from Dallas Willard too. I purposely wait in the longest line. Crazy. Whole Foods in Oakland. One day, uh, the, the way I usually shop with my four kids, I spread them out. <laughs> I'm in the center lane. Hey, you two over there, you two over there. We got five lanes. Whoever's the first one, you hold your hand up. That's where we go. Right? That's how it is. But then on the one, one time, my kids were like, hey, Dad, okay, where do you want us to go? Like, that long line right there. What? Yeah, yeah, we're going to practice patience. Wait there. Same thing with Costco gas. Wait for the line. The toll booth. Oh, man. Not the fast track lane. Just find the longest cash lane. Training to practice patience. If that's what you want, you got to train. The way God conforms his children into the image of Jesus Christ is not some like abstract idea, and it's not something that you go do by yourself in a corner, like, oh, I'm going to go study and meditate and do this all by myself, and I'm just going to do this. More than likely, it's this constant practice that leads us to maturity, and it's usually with people. Because how else are you going to exercise not being angry if you don't have anyone around with to be angry at? So have you noticed that there's no effort for weeds to grow in your yard? They just do. I have a backyard and a front yard. I hate those plants. I wish I had goats. <laughs> but if you want a nice, beautiful garden, it takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of planning. And then when you get the things the way you want it to look, what happens? You have to keep it up. Because if you don't, then all those weeds come back again. All you have to do is go look at our community garden in the back. It's actually a, like a community weed garden right now. But it used to be beautiful. Fig tree, lemon tree, apple tree, uh, planter boxes with veggies and, and, and fruits and all this kind of stuff. It's, it was beautiful. But we haven't kept up with it for years. And now it looks like what it looked like several years ago. It always goes back. It's just like our bodies. They atrophy if you don't use it. You don't wake up buff. Like, you don't do that. I, I wish it were true. I really do. It's not how it works. Nothing in life is like that. Nothing. It all takes effort. Everything. It takes commitment. It takes commitment to get on a path of spiritual maturity. Just like everything else in life, it's not complicated. We have these cards, and it's just a simple tool for you. So um, that first one is uh, just to get like 
a gauge on where you are with your heart. Just like before you go do some exercise program or marathon, you, you're supposed to go check with your doctor about your health condition. That, that's what all this is. Because before we can go from this milk stuff to solid food, you, you kind of have to take an inventory of how you're doing with God. And then after that, uh, number three is more about the solid food. What are you going to do? But you really have to take an inventory about your relationship with God. How are you doing? And then we can move forward with that. So that's, it's just a simple tool for you to take away. Let's, let's pray. God, um, we, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, for um, our eyes to be open. For our ears to be open that we would not be deaf, that we would not be dull of hearing so that we are drifted away, drifting away from you as the warning is in chapter 2 of Hebrews. That we indeed are able to hear you and to faithfully with obedience move forward towards your voice. God, um, with all those lazy, sluggish bones in our body, I pray, Lord, that they would be activated to move toward you. We know that everything in life worth anything takes work, whether that is in our marriages or in our relationships that we value the most, that there needs to be a constant communication, there needs to be a constant uh, talking about what's most important in our lives. And so, God, um, may we have that with you in our prayer life. And may you move us from these foundational, basic, elementary truths, which are all milk, and move us into something more. That we are imitating Christ in our whole being. In Jesus' name, amen.